Hi friends, I'm Rob Tigan. And I'm Joanna. And this is the Growing Home Together podcast. We're caring for the soul of your family, helping you grow closer to God and each other. Thank you for joining us today on the Growing Home Together podcast. Joanna and I are uh, very close to celebrating 30 years uh, of marriage together. And if I'm honest, over the 30 years, we've had our ups and downs together. The ups have been amazing, uh, but as well, the downs have felt pretty painful at times. In certain seasons, we've felt disconnected, uh, frustrated by the mismatch of our hopes and our goals, and missing out on the romance and the teamwork that we had early on in our relationship. You know, when joy seems to disappear in a marriage, we can wonder if we'll ever find it again. Yes, and I think that as a husband or a wife, we can wish for some kind of roadmap to find our way back to each other. And that is why we're so glad to welcome today's guests, Marcus Warner and Chris Corsi, to the podcast. They have written a fantastic resource called The Four Habits of Joy-Filled Marriages to give couples smart and simple ways to rekindle the happiness in our relationship. So thank you so much, Marcus and Chris, for joining us today. Thank you. Good to be here with you both. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure. Yes. So, so we really appreciate it. And before we jump into the topic, can you share a little bit about your background and how you came to write this book together? You know, that's a really good question. The, uh, uh, Chris and I have been friends for a while in ministry. Uh, we are mutual friends with Dr. Jim Wilder and, uh, Jim's a, uh, neuro theologian. And that means that he is a, brain, uh, brain science researcher. So he's not, you know, he doesn't do neuro, you know, uh, surgery or anything like that, but he's a researcher of the brain. And as, um, we have gotten to know him, realize that a lot of the discoveries coming out of the brain science need, need to get out there to the general public. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, Jim, uh, Chris can tell you his story, but, uh, he and, he and, uh, Jim worked together to develop exercises to help low joy people, learn what are the actual skills and habits you have to develop in order to begin living with greater joy when you've never known that. Mm -hmm. And so what Chris and I have done is we, we decided, Hey, we need to take all this stuff that we've been learning and share it so that um, um, people in their marriages who are struggling can have a better sense of why they struggle and what they need to do. That's right. We, we really wanted couples to be able to, you know, see that it's possible to change your brain. God, uh, God's word tells us we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so Marcus and I wanted a very practical resource that would give a language that would give a lens for how to grow relational joy, as well as give people uh, opportunities to practice some really fun exercises to, to grow their joy together. Yeah, that's great. You know, in our marriage mentoring, we've talk to couples about so many different elements of that, their relationship, whether it's how to communicate really well, how to resolve conflict, all that kind of stuff that are super important. Um, but you caught my attention right away in the title of your book by landing on that joy idea that you're talking about. So how did you land on joy as such a key element to having a strong marriage? Well, you know, that actually came directly out of the neuroscience. And that is a, a, a guy named Dr. Alan Shore, who has been called the Einstein of modern psychiatry. He, uh, uh, he uses all these really big words like dysregulation and all that. I mean, it, uh, to explain things. And 
the best word he could come up with to explain what the brain needs, the fuel on which the brain runs was joy. And we're figuring, you know, if a neuroscience like this can't come up with a better word than joy, then there's probably something to it. And uh, so really, um, we landed there because that's where the brain science has landed. That's right. And Marcus and I are both pastors. And so when we heard, uh, you know, these brain researchers and scientists talk about the fuel of joy for the brain, uh, Marcus and I knew, you know what, there's there's something here. And we, we know that there's a lot of references to joy in the Bible. And, you know, scripture's full of these references for, you know, Jesus saying for these things, I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So we found it uh, really fascinating that brain science, as well as scripture, just intersects on this topic of glad to be together, joy. Yeah, that's, that's really great because I think, um, and I'm glad you did it because I'm not a scientist. So uh, <laughs> somebody who could take those those ideas and put them in a way that I can practically implement them into my life and my marriage is, is helpful. But I think joy is kind of a loaded word that, you know, we, we know it's different than happiness, but we don't know exactly sometimes what it is. So I think the fact that you guys have taken this um, and and put the brain science with uh, the reality of what joy is will help people understand that better. But um, because it is a loaded word, can you give us kind of a concrete or a more clear definition of what joy is when it relates to what we're talking about today? Um, yeah, let me start, Chris. The uh, joy, joy is, uh, um, from a brain perspective, it is actually an activity that's taking place up near your right eye. <laughs> and so what happens there is, is there's a part of your brain that can be thought of as the joy center. And when that is getting bombarded with, you know, dopamine and, and good things, we have this sensation of, wow, I'm really happy to be with you. So there is a happiness component to joy, but it's a relational happiness. It's the idea that I'm happy because I'm with you. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, you know, you and Joanna could be going through something hard together, but you share a look and you go, but I'm glad I'm here with you. You know, you, being here with you makes this better. And and joy can be anticipatory as you're thinking about the next time you're going to see somebody. Uh, joy can be in memories as you remember times when you were really happy to be with someone. Uh, joy can be in the present when you light up because somebody has just uh, walked into a room. So it's this kind of involuntary reaction that we have when we're really happy to be with somebody. And that's kind of, that's the joy that we're talking about. I think in, in Christian circles, we often say that joy is a choice. Mm -hmm. And when we get there, it's almost more like we're talking about peace or contentment, like, okay. uh, cause we, and, and peace and contentment is a low energy state that makes me feel like everything's going to be okay. You know, I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. The joy is a high energy excitement, right? Like, oh, I can't wait till this happens. Yeah. And we need some high energy excitement in our marriages. So that's where the joy came from. Okay. That's right. And, and Marcus said something really important there that, that there's this anticipatory um, effect here when you're looking forward to seeing someone. I can remember having to speak at a conference in another state and then um, it was my anniversary. So I was driving home in the middle of a tornadoes and storms to get home to my <laughs> wife. And there was just this excitement. I couldn't wait to walk in the door 
and see my wife. And your brain actually releases dopamine when you're expecting something good around the corner. So when you can imagine walking through the door, you're going to see someone's face light up to see you. You'll hear it in the voice. You'll see it in the mannerism. So joy is actually more like a reflex. And so um, you feel like you're the sparkle in someone else's eyes and your significant other, your spouse feels like she or he is the sparkle in your eyes. And so this joy is contagious. And so Marcus and I often say that just, you know, a little bit of joy can grow and become contagious and become a lot of joy really quickly. Wow. I just love the way that you're describing that. I mean, I think you've really put your finger on the pulse of what our hearts really want to experience in our marriage. Um, But, you know, for so many, um, that just feels way out of reach, doesn't it? And you talk about the joy gap that so many couples are suffering right now. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, well, you know, and Brenda and I had a pretty big joy gap for a while in our marriage. And uh, a joy gap in strict terms is just the amount of time between moments of shared joy. In other words, when's the last time you were just happy to be together? And if you're measuring that in hours, you have a pretty good marriage. If you're measuring that in days, that gap's getting a little longer. We talked to one person in an interview like this, and they're like, it's been months, right, <laughs> since they felt any joy with their, their wife. And I'm like, it, when that's happening, you've got a pretty significant joy gap. And the longer that gap gets, the easier it is for it to fill with negative things. Because now what happens is our mind creates a narrative to explain the gap. Like, why is there such a, a lack of joy in, in our marriage? And that's where the devil gets in, right? Because he's going to explain that for you. So, well, it's because, you know, she never, you know, respects you and she never does this right. And she doesn't do that right. You, you know, he's always this way and he's always that way. And so the longer the joy gap goes on, the easier it is for toxic narratives to take root. And uh, when those take root, they create fear and uh, resentment in our marriages, which are joy suckers. So uh, trying to keep the amount of time between shared joy moments uh, short is really kind of what this is all about. That's right. And, and Marcus and I really hope that, that couples who pick up this book will uh, start a discussion, a dialogue, and, and more importantly, start to practice building some joy. Because when our joy levels start to drop, what happens is pain becomes louder problems become bigger. And so we wanted to give couples this lens that, you know what, we do have a joy gap in our, in our marriages. And with a little bit of effort, a little bit of practice, some time together, you can actually shrink that joy gap so that you have more joy, more glad to be togetherness, which really strengthens the marriage bond. And it puts a smile on our faces when we just feel connected with our spouse. Yeah, um, you mentioned it a minute ago, but um, I was really taken with this idea that kind of the other end of the spectrum from joy is fear. And I would have to say for me personally, when I'm struggling the most in my relationship with Rob, it's more about fear than anything else. Um, Can you kind of flesh that out for us a little more? Yeah, sometimes call uh, this um, the button dance that happens in marriage. (laughs) And the button dance is kind of when you first get together, you just can't be intimate enough. You can't be close enough. It's like two couples dancing really cheek to cheek, very close together. And they're like, this is bliss. This is great. There's a lot of joy, right? And then all of a sudden you step on 
something and there's a little explosion and the person has a reaction that you didn't expect and they step back from you and you step back from them and you're like, wait a second, what just happened? Like, who are you and what happened to the person I married? And from that moment on, I have a little bit of fear about when is this going to happen again? And then if uh, so, we start dancing a little farther away from each other. Instead of holding each other quite so close, it's like, okay, let's do a different kind of dance where I'm over here and you're over there so that maybe we don't trigger each other so much. And, and, and so this button dance is, is the reaction of what happens in our marriages when fear begins to replace joy. And that is that we automatically begin to lose intimacy. We start avoiding the other person because we're not sure when the next painful blow up thing's going to happen. And we don't know how to explain it. We don't know uh, why it's happening. And so that's also where our, our, our narratives and our minds can, can begin running amok. And it can um, just accelerate that sense of fear. And fear always creates avoidance, whereas joy creates intimacy. That's right. And, you know, I think all of us can relate to those moments where the joy starts to leak out and fear just kind of fills the void. And uh, one of the things that happens is we start to smile less and less when fear is present. We, we kind of feel like we have to hide. We have to cover our hearts. We have to hide what we feel or we start feeling alone. And feeling alone creates one of the toughest conditions for our brain to navigate that terrain. So what that means is when I feel disconnected from my spouse, that's where I'm most vulnerable. As Marcus said, you know, that's where the, these narratives start to play out. I feel like I have to pretend to be okay um, and kind of wear masks um, or I just simply shut down. And there's nothing fun about feeling caught in the quicksand of fear. And so that's why Marcus and I really wanted to tell couples about joy, that joy is possible. It takes a little bit of practice, but with a little bit of practice and God's grace, we can actually start growing lots of joy in our gardens and pull the weeds of fear that start to, that try to choke out the joy. Yeah. And I was, I was uh, convicted when I was, when I was reading your book, book a little bit, because I don't know if it's a personality thing or, or like, like you said, it's that, uh, focusing on the fear, but you talk about fear mapping and that idea that we um, <clears throat> try to fix problems rather than appreciate the blessings. And I know that's throughout our life, that's kind of the way I tend to be. Like, you know, we can landscape the yard and I'm going to see the corner that that didn't get done, you know? And so uh, Joanna will say, doesn't the yard look beautiful? And I'll be like, yeah, but we need to fix that over there. And that's that always trying to fix the problems rather than focusing on the blessings. And I know I noticed when I was reading that, I, I bring that into our marriage a lot and that does steal, tend to steal the joy. So um, I don't know if you can share a little bit about the mapping too. That was interesting to me. Yeah, it is. You know, Chris talks a lot about how the brain uh, is a natural amplifier. And so it tends to, it, you can train your brain and you do it subconsciously, but you train your brain on what it is that you're supposed to look for. And your brain is either going to look for things to enjoy and be grateful for and have appreciation with, or your brain's going to look for problems to solve. So the left side of your brain is problem dominant and the right side of your brain is relationship dominant. And so for people who tend to be more left brain oriented, they have to really work on developing the habit of enjoying things in the moment. And I sometimes say it's the difference between noticing that there's a pretty sunset and mm -hmm. taking five minutes to actually sit down and just soak it in. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. And and Marcus and I have a, a number of exercises in the book that are really designed to kind of shift our attention from what's wrong to looking at what's right. And a, a lot of this fear mapping really comes down to what I've learned to focus on. And so the good news is we can change and kind of train our brain to amplify the good stuff. So when my wife and I might go out on a date, um, we always have a lot of problems we could talk about, a lot of challenges in our family and ministry. But what we try to do first is really cushion our time together by growing joy. So we'll talk about highlights from our week. We'll talk about um, some of God's gifts from the day, the good things that's happening with our children. Um, it's not that we don't find time to talk about the hard stuff, but we cushion it with um, joy, basically, which really helps our brain to be able to recognize and acknowledge the hard stuff, but actually grow and amplify the good stuff. And that keeps us from getting uh, bogged down by the heavy stuff. Yeah, and if I could jump in for a second here too, there's two two practical things you can do with this. And uh, one is to limit, um, kind of have problem-free zones in your marriage. <laughs> like we're not going to talk about problems now. All right, we'll save it for later. So like, I, I realize this the hard way. I take my wife on, on a date. We go to this nice restaurant. We spend the evening talking about the problems in the ministry, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, now that that's, you know, it, it needed to be a problem-free zone. It's like, we'll talk about those problems another time. Right now, our focus is going to be on something else. And I found that that very helpful. So we make our, like our bedroom, a problem-free zone. You know, once we get in bed, it's off limits to talk about problems anymore. <laughs> you know, and uh, that in and of itself has helped to create more joy in our marriage. <laughs> and uh, it's also um, important then you, you schedule times when what this is, this is the time for, for focusing on things like this. And when you're going, when you know, you're going to be talking about problems, maybe you scheduled like three o'clock today, we're going to meet, we're going to talk about our family finances. <laughs> you know, that's usually a problem for most people. So you're looking at that and going, well, can we build a little joy together before we have that hard conversation? Because if we can build a little bit of joy before the hard conversation, it's easier to stay relationally engaged throughout it and not get as triggered. So having problem-free zones and making sure that we build joy before we have hard conversations can both be practical ways to help. And that's so important what Marcus just said, because there's been times Jen and I were already in bed for the night and we're talking and the, a problem comes up in the interaction. We will, we will literally physically get up out of bed and go sit somewhere to talk about a problem. If we're going to talk about a problem, because uh, we want, we have to fiercely protect those areas and, you know, in the protected environment that you create for yourselves, you know what, that's a chance to grow the joy, amplify the good stuff, but fiercely protect uh, the joy zones, as we can call it. Otherwise, what happens is your nervous system just gets used to these patterns. And we don't really want our brain to associate the bedroom with problems. So fiercely protect your joy zones and uh, watch how that really plays out and affects your joy levels. Yeah, that's so great because I know um, we tend to think, and, and this is a little bit of the difference between joy and happiness, right, too, is we tend to think if we can just get rid of these problems, then we'll, we'll be happy and we'll be connected, and, but, but problems are always there. So that's what I love about your book is you give these strategies for us to focus on how can we bring joy 
into our relationship and be proactive that way rather than always focusing on the problems, like you said. So giving these these different um, ideas and concepts allow us to focus on how can we bring more joy into our house, even with the problems. So I love that. Yeah, you put your finger right on it. It's <laughs> the, uh, yeah, there's always going to be problems. Jesus made us that promise, didn't he? Right. Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, I find it fascinating too, that in the Bible, um, one of the main places that you see joy is when it talks about the face of God, right? That joy is found in his face and, uh, whether it's the Aaron's blessing on the people, uh, or something like Psalm 16, uh, it's like, if you're looking for, for joy, you're going to find it in, in God's face, which tells us something really profound. And that is God's happy to see us, right? That, that when we show up to, to interact with God, we can be sure that he's going to, his face is going to light up like, oh, it's you. Oh, this is great. Right. And we know the difference between walking into the room and having our husband or our wife light up because we walk into the room and uh, walking into the room and have them uh, have their energy deflate because we just walked into the room. Right. So um, some of us, I think are fear bonded to God. And so some of these same principles about marriage apply to our walk with him. Uh, and that is that we have a hard time imagining that God really likes us, that he's really happy to see us. And um, so I find it fascinating that from a biblical perspective, the number one place that we find joy is in God's face. And that's exactly where we find it in each other. It's that look in our eyes. It's the lighting up of our face that tells us, okay, I'm feeling joy that you're here. That's right. And, and it's no accident that the human brain uh, in infants and children, especially is wired to look at faces. And so when a baby looks at mom's face, for example, baby's brain trying to figure out if mom is glad to be with me. And so what they've, what they found studying uh, infants with their mothers and the interactions is more than anywhere else. Um, baby will look at uh, the left eye on mommy's face, which is connected with what Marcus said earlier with the right hemisphere where this joy center is. So more than anywhere else on mommy's face, baby's eyes and baby's brain is looking for joy on mom's face. So it's no accident to me when we look in the Bible and we see that God's face is the source of our joy. There's just such a beautiful connection there. Hey there, friends. We'll get back to the show in just a second, but I'm excited to tell you about a wonderful marriage resource that Rob and Joanna have for you. Rob and Joanna Tigan have been married for almost 30 years and have experienced every kind of high and low in their life together. But if they had to name the biggest lesson they've ever learned as a married couple, it's that a close relationship with God helps them have a close relationship with each other. And on the flip side, if they move farther away from God, they are sure to experience a growing distance from each other too. That's why they are so passionate to help couples draw closer to God and each other every day. Rob and Joanna have created a powerful tool for you to use in your marriage. It's called Mr. and Mrs. 366 Devotions for Couples. This gorgeous book gives you an inspiring scripture, a word of teaching and encouragement, and a prayer to lift up together every day of the year. The daily topics cover every part of your life together, whether it's financial or parenting stress, conflict or communication, or the intimacy and oneness you're longing to grow between you. Now today you may be feeling distant or discouraged, Maybe your faith has been tested by the stress of this past year, or maybe you're feeling lonely and unsupported in your relationship. 
It's incredible how connecting with God and each other through a daily devotional can transform your marriage and give you hope. You can find Mr. and Mrs. 366 Devotions for Couples at growinghometogether.com or wherever books are sold. Check out the link in the show notes for easy access to the book on Amazon. Now, back to the show. Yeah, and I love that you're you're giving us this awesome crash course on how our brains work. Um, one of the ideas that you teach about that's really interesting is this idea of having relational circuits that we can switch on or off. And I was hoping you could tell us how do those circuits get turned off for a couple and what can we do to turn them back on? Why don't you take this one, Chris? I'll jump in later here. Sure. So yeah, this was really uh, a fun one for Marcus and I to talk about in the book in that our, our brain has this relational circuit breaker. We call it the on and off switch in our book. And you know, what's interesting about this switch is when the switch is on, we, it's easy to build joy. In fact, when we're expecting joy, uh, your, your switch comes on and we can't wait to see our spouse, to connect with our spouse. But you know, there's lots for lots of reasons. The switch can go off. And when the switch is off, I just want to be on my phone. Um, maybe I'm upset with my spouse. So my spouse feels more like a problem or the source of my pain. I'm just not really going to enjoy uh, my spouse very much when this relational circuit and this, what we call the on and off switch is off. And in, in the book, Marcus and I use uh, the word cake to really help recognize whether the switch is on or off. And cake just stands for curiosity and the C in cake is curiosity. So when, when the switch is on, I'm curious what my spouse is thinking or feeling, but when the switch goes off, I don't really care what my spouse is thinking and feeling. Right. And the A in cake is for appreciation. And so if I can feel appreciation, as I think about some of God's gifts and some of those joy moments, then it's a good sign. My, my on and off switch is working well. Uh, but when it goes off, I can't feel appreciation. My brain just focuses on a problem. And the K and cake is for kindness. And when the switch is on, it's easy to be kind. When the switch goes off, you know what? I don't want to be kind. And I often might be unkind with my, with my looks or my glances or my words or my tone. And then the E and cake is for eye contact. And so when the switch is on, it's very easy for me to look at my spouse in the eyes and build some joy. But when that switch goes off, I don't want to look in the uh, in my spouse's eyes. I will avoid eye contact. And, you know, when the switch is off, it's just really hard to build joy. And so Marcus and I uh, actually do some exercises in the book to help people notice the difference for when this uh, switch is on and working and I'm relational and I'm glad to be with my spouse or when the switch goes off and I'm just kind of in non-relational mode. That's really good. You're kind of making me think about this last three years or so that Rob and I have been working at home together full time. And that's a that's a lot of togetherness, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was easy for a while to just become so used to each other being physically present that we stopped doing those things. You know, the eye contact went to the wayside and um, we started, I think, in some ways just taking a lot for granted, like just the fact that we're here is automatically going to lead to joy and connectedness, which is totally not true. And then I'm thinking about even this morning, um, I got up and there's a hot pot of coffee waiting for me. Mm -hmm. Rob had put the dog out for me. 
Um, he, he looked at me and gave me a good morning hug when I came downstairs. And then he thanked me for something that I'd done in our work together that was helping him out. And I'm like, wow, he's actively doing all of the, the cake steps that you're talking about just in our first 30 minutes this morning. But I know that that was something that we had to really learn to be intentional about. And just to say how different we are, you were thinking of that. And I was actually thinking about cake because I heard the word cake and that always brings me joy. So Uh, I'll bake for you, babe. Cake for lunch. (laughs) Cake for lunch. Yes. Yeah, those are great examples. And, uh, you know, this really is a game changer. And Marcus and I hope that as couples will practice building joy, as you said, these these skills and practices can become habits. And when they're habits, they'll show up on the good days as well as the bad days. But if we don't practice on the good days, they're not really going to show up on the hard and the bad days. And so we really want to encourage couples to take a little bit of time out. We, we just say 15 minutes a day can really help you stay in love and build some joy. Yeah, that's good. So so I'm I'm imagining Joanna and I about uh, 15 years ago here we I was on the road constantly with my job. We had four kids uh, from the ages of 12 and under. Uh, Joanna was juggling homeschooling and volunteering at church and part-time job. We felt like there was zero time for each other and we felt miles apart. And so what is one exercise or what would some exercises be that you would describe for us back then in that situation to help us draw closer? That's not uncommon, is it? I remember when I ran into a, uh, when Brent, my wife and I were running into most of our problems because I was so focused on ministry, she just felt like she was always getting the leftovers, mm-hmm. right? For and sure. so some of that gets into, um, am I giving am I reserving space in my day to give my best to the other person or are they always getting my leftovers? And I find that, so we have an acrostic in the book, right? Plan. And it's, that's what the four habits are. And so in some ways, what you're asking is, well, what do we do? Well, that's why we wrote the four habits. You got to find time to play together, um, listen for each other emotions and not just for their problems, um, appreciating daily and then finding a way to nurture a rhythm. And so the nurturing a rhythm really starts around your evening routines and your morning routines, right? How do you start your day? How do you end your day? And uh, where in your life are you going to find time for each other so that there is a, there is opportunity to be together and not have it all just be about problems. And so these things take a little bit of, of, of practice, but we find the most joy-filled marriages are the ones where people continue to find time to play together and uh, uh, that goes a long way between playing together, nurturing a rhythm, appreciating each other at all, all connects. That's right. And, and, you know, Marcus and I have an exercise in the book. We call it triple, our, triple your joy. And, you know, this is a great way to end your day, as Marcus said. And so one of the things you can do with your spouse or you're holding hands or you're cuddling, you know, it just, just you're going to express some things that you appreciate from your day for your spouse and things you appreciate about God. And you'll share those appreciations out loud. So I would tell my wife, Jen, honey, I really appreciated uh, when you picked up the boys from school today. Thank you for doing that. I just really meant a lot to me uh, that you took the time to do that uh, because I was, you know, I was stuck at the auto shop or whatever it is. And then the appreciation from my day would be, you know, I really enjoyed sitting out on the deck and listening to the birds. It just was very calming for me. 
and then I would uh, express something about God that I enjoy. I say, you know what? I really appreciate God's peace. I needed that today when I was having a hard time. I was able to just spend some time in prayer, and I just felt God's peace. And boy, I could breathe easier after that. So it would be three things I appreciate about my spouse, three things I appreciate about my day, three things I appreciate about God. And when Jen and I would do this exercise, it took us less than 15 minutes. It usually took us about 10 minutes. And on the the nights that we ended our day with that exercise, our sleep would be magnificent. We would have a wonderful night's sleep. It was just a great way to end our day. On the nights that maybe we went to bed restless or just not in a very joyful place or just feeling stressed, the sleep is not even comparable to what happens when we would end our day with appreciation. So having couples take a little bit of time to practice some of these exercises like appreciation and joy uh, will just really, in a sense, it resets your nervous system, it puts a smile on your face, and it strengthens the bond with your spouse, the one that you love. Yeah, that's good. And, and I, you know, I love that you guys talk about the, the uh, natural rhythm um, that we set and that you specifically talked about morning and evening, because as I think about it, when are the times that usually our greatest amount of fears and stresses, you know, it's, we wake up in the morning, the first thing that starts going into our mind is all that we have to do. We got to get kids ready for school, got to get to practice, you know, you just start overwhelming yourself with all your to-dos and the same at bed. You, you go to bed, you think about all the things you didn't get done, all the failures you had, the bad meeting you've got, you know, the hard meeting you have to have the next day. So if you start those, those morning rhythms and those evenings, if you're intentional as a couple, um, it's really going to set a different tone, um, for your mornings and evenings. So I, I love that you guys make that connection. And one of my favorite images for this came from Dr. Wilder. He talks about joy camp and he said, imagine your family's going camping. First thing you're going to do is set up the camp. Then you're going to give the ground rules, you know, like little kids, you got to stay with your parents, you know, older kids, you can go this far, you know, teenagers, you can go down to the lake, but, and then the adults, you know, just be back here by eight kind of thing. Right. And so, and then everybody goes out and they, 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 uh, have their day. But at the end of the day, around eight o'clock, everybody comes back. They're around the campfire. They're having food together. They're sharing. And what are they doing? They're sharing stories and they're being together and they're sharing their stories of the day. And whether it was a good day or a bad day almost doesn't matter because you're going to have stories to tell Mm. and you're going to bond together over that. And you're going to be happy to be together. And the only thing that's really going to mess that up is if somebody isn't there right? It gets to be eight o'clock and somebody's still missing. It's like, okay, we need to go find this person. Well, in the same way, our families kind of need to have this attitude that says at the end of the day, we want everybody back in joy camp. And uh, if somebody isn't, we got to go get them, right? Let's go find that person. Let's get them back here. You know, we want them to be uh, uh, enjoying this. And the night, that's the nice thing about a rhythm is that if you've got a relational rhythm like that established, then it makes the ups and downs of life more manageable because you're not, you know, you're not going through them alone. That's right. And, and you know what the wisdom from scriptures that don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so as we do what Marcus just said about ending up in joy camp, where we're glad to be together, uh, you know, that puts us in a really good place to go to sleep and to feel secure and just, you know, feel the peace of a good day. Um, And when we go try to go to bed, when we're not in a joyful state, maybe we had an argument 
or something and we go to bed mad, what happens is um, cortisol, which is a stress hormone can run through our body for 24 hours. And so going to bed in outside of joy camp is just not good for us on many levels. And so working to end the day in joy, this glad to be together joy just feels very content and it, and you wake up renewed and refreshed for the new day. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, and in the exercises that you were talking about, one thing that stood out to me was you consistently prescribe that the couple uh, touch, whether holding hands, knee to knee, eye contact, the whole thing. And I was curious um, about the significance of that. Like, how does our physical contact with each other play into activating joy in our brains? Yeah, I'll jump in. So, you know, when we have that, that holding hands or that cuddling, there's this wonderful bonding hormone called oxytocin and oxytocin uh, is just a response for our nervous system. When we're holding hands or cuddling with our spouse, these oxytocin levels start to increase. And in studies on oxytocin, people have found to be more trusting, to be more generous and to feel overall more peaceful as oxytocin levels increase. So it's no accident that Marcus and I put that into every exercise to make sure that as we're growing joy, we're also increasing our bonding levels of oxytocin so that we feel more connected in that moment. And that's a feeling we're trying to teach our brain uh, to hold on to. We are just, we are made by God to be connected. And so through some very simple exercises, we can just deepen that bond. That is, that's really good. And you, you guys have, have really given us some great uh, practical steps to take to joy today to bring joy into our marriages. And um, I know our listeners are going to want to, to get a hold of your, your books and other, other materials you have. How can we, can we connect with you guys online? Um, well, Chris is at thrivetoday.org and I am at deeperwalkinternational.org. And uh, you can also reach me at marcuswarner.org, but it's a, uh, um, yeah, that's the main ways to do it. Uh, okay. Chris, just so people know too, Chris created all of the exercises for this book, right? We discussed them together, but that's kind of his forte. So, um, he, uh, put together all these exercises and his ministry, uh, largely is an exercise driven, um, organization that helps people develop skills that maybe they grew up missing. And so I think he's got some really great stuff there. Yeah. Thank you, Marcus. Yeah. We, you know, we're really passionate about people learning these skills, especially joy. And we really hope our listeners will uh, grab a copy of the book and just take time to go through it, read it, practice it, and just notice what happens when you start to do that. That's really awesome. Well, you know, before we close today, I know that there are definitely couples listening who who want to take hold of more of that joy in their relationship. And we were hoping that you would be willing to pray right now for God to lead them close together again. Could you do that for us? Um, yeah, I'd be happy to. Father God, you know um, everyone who's listening, and we know that there are divine appointments that people would be listening to this and that uh, you have uh, a plan for each one of them. Thank you that you're uh, a good shepherd, and you've always got a plan for where to go next. You've already made provision for our journey. 
Um, Father, I pray for each, each person who is kind of stuck in fear and maybe anger and hopelessness that you would um, begin showing them the, the path forward to growing their own joy, but also that uh, you would um, give them some breakthroughs in their relational connections, that there would be uh, an ability to grow joy together would come more easily. So we know that you created families so that they would, uh, they would be happy to be together, not so that they would survive being together. And uh, so we just ask that you will um, pass this blessing on to all of those who uh, actively seek you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And uh, yes, thank you so much, guys, uh, Chris and Marcus, for being with us today. It's mm -hmm. been really great. I would just reiterate um, that it is a phenomenal resource um, for, for married couples. So I hope people do pick it up. And just thanks again for being with us today. Thank you, friends. Good to be with you. Yep, very enjoyable. Thank you. And thank you, friends, for joining us today on the Growing Home Together podcast. We'd love to connect with you as well over at our website, growinghometogether.com, where we have a free marriage devotional for you, plus some great resources for your family um, to rekindle the romance um, and to pray together. So at Growing Home Together, we're caring for the soul of your family. And we're growing home together with you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.